You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hello and welcome back to Go Doc Yourself. I'm Erin McCart. And I'm Erin McCourt. Welcome back for part two of How to Fix a Drug Scandal. Four episodes, one hour each, directed by Aaron Lee Carr. This episode, we're going to discuss the Sonia Farrick case, just the second case. Let's jump right in. Let's jump right in. You guys, this is the last episode of the year. It's probably going to be a little bit longer, <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to make it work. So yeah. let's go. Sounds lovely. Okay. So again, we open in January of 2013. There's an interview kind of being on like some audio on screen between Sonia Farrick and detective named Robin Whitney. And Sonia Farrick is a drug lab analyst in the Amherst lab, which is also in Massachusetts. And Robin Whitney, I believe is a state trooper. So Sonia has been found out at this point. There's some questions for her about what she's up to. They're trying to talk a little bit about some of the things that she's doing, but you kind of find out right off the bat <laughs> what the fucking deal is here. Cause Whitney goes, uh, what about uh, crack pipes under your desk? Any other unsecured drugs? And Sonia goes, um, I don't want to talk anymore. I would like to stop talking now. And you're like, Oh, thanks for wetting my appetite for that delicious detail. That's where the documentary opens. The entire <laughs> thing, that's where it opens. Yeah. yeah. You have crack pipes in your desk. Lord. So this actually started, we're still January 18th, 2013. James Connolly, he's a former Massachusetts State Police in charge of the drug labs. He gets a call from the lab supervisor, which they say his name a hundred times and I don't think I ever wrote it down, saying the chemist from the previous evening could not find two samples. There were two evidence samples missing. And, oh, James Hanchin is the supervisor's name. They go to the lab. They, they're working with James, and they're looking through the evidence locker. Then they look through another locker, and they cannot find these samples. So they looked at Sonia's desk, thinking maybe she was working on them. They opened a drawer and found what looked like fake cocaine. And when they continued to work, look, they found the evidence backs which had been tampered with. The cases had both been done. They were sealed, but then the bags had been sliced back open. And they were really confused because they're like, these samples have been done weeks before. So why were they still at her bench? Right? They should have been put back in the evidence locker. Originally, both cases, when they were tested weeks ago, were found positive for cocaine. When they retested the samples that were in the evidence bags now, they both came up negative. So this reminds me of when my sister was a teenager and when drink my mom's vodka and then put water in it. Right? <laughs> it's the same thing. Right. hundred percent. It's um, definitely one of those situations where you're like, they'll never notice. It's fine. It's fine. Never. Mm -mm. And so, yeah, so it appears that she took the real drugs, replacing them with fake drugs. Now we meet David Sullivan. Yeah. He's the Northwestern DA. Turner. Yeah. Yes. He's notified that they suspect there's a lab analyst that's been tampering with evidence. 
So he's sending state troopers to find her. She's supposedly in court in Springfield. And that's when the state trooper detective, uh, Whitney, catches up with her. So, yeah, they find her at court as she's testifying in a case against another defendant for which she had tested the drugs. <laughs> yes. Oh, the irony. They get her, they advise her of her rights, and they take her to talk, which, as we mentioned earlier, doesn't last very long. And they get a warrant to search her car. That's important. And her car was disgusting. I'm just going to say it was not good. <laughs> well, if you work as much as she did, then evidently you don't have any time to do anything else. Um, you just, it's just very cluttered with paper and wrappers and all kinds of shit. That's sort of the deal there. I think we all know somebody who's a bit of a car slob situation. Yeah. Yeah. So, I used yeah. to be. Yeah. Because of the conflict of interest, the DA has to get the attorney general's office involved, right? Which I appreciate that they're like, listen, we can't do this. The attorney general, which is Martha Coakley, holds a press conference. They talk about she's being charged, so I use the rest, and she's being charged with two counts of tampering with evidence and one count of possession of a Class B substance cocaine, which they found in her car. That's it. Those three charges. So let me say... I don't have a problem with this initial press conference. I think they're reporting on the information that they have, right? It seems like there was some problems early on with the scope of this press conference, but it seems to me like, you know, you're kind of up against the wall here. You have to report on what you know. You can't really speculate. So I don't have a problem with them saying like, this is what we know right now. Oh, right. Early on. And it's like the same day, right? So absolutely. This is what we know. This is what she's been arrested for. I do love the fact that defense attorneys in the state, I mean, their ears had to have gone like, what? Right. Because this is what? just, what, six months after Annie Dukin had been arrested, right? So this is another case of a, a rogue chemist. So now there's a whole gang of them, apparently. Uh, they're so rogue. Both in Massachusetts. So they're two separate labs. There are two labs that do the majority of the drug work in the state. Annie Dukin was in Boston. And Sonia Farrick was at the Amherst lab. So Western Massachusetts. Again, what are the fucking odds? That's amazing. Right. Not only the same state, but right in the same time period, too. It's crazy. I think it would be really interesting to understand if the Massachusetts process was different than other states are just pretty fucking standard for everywhere else and it just happened to be coincidental they just happened to catch them both at this time yeah because we'll find out that both of them have been doing it for a long time and so the fact that they both got away with it for what nine years yes years and years yes mm -hmm. yes so so we meet luke ryan he's a defense attorney he seems like an amazing defense attorney just amazing human being altogether. he just seems like yes. a cat's pajamas yes I want him to defend me if I ever have to go to court. And bake and just hang out all the time. He just seems like a really cool human being. Yeah. Yeah, he does. But when Sonia Farrick got arrested, he knew that some of his clients might have been affected because she had done the testing that would have incriminated them, one of which is Rafael Rodriguez. We meet Madeline Vasquez, who is Rafael's wife and his kids. And, you know... They talk about being with him and how they have video of him with his kids and how silly he was and how much fun they had together. And it's very heartwarming to see a father have fun with his kids. 
really engaging, right? Yeah, because as a parent, any parent, you are so bogged down by work and, you know, homework for the kids and, and doing dinner and cleaning the house that sometimes you don't have time to have the fun that you need to have with kids. And so to see that, it's just makes me happy. It's a lovely story. I mean, he's also dealing with some addiction issues. I mean, that's probably the downside of this. He'd had addiction for many years. And they used to go to the local pool at the summertime. And apparently there was a police informant who got off on, you know, sending everyone else up the river, as it were. And he happened upon Raphael at the pool and set him up, basically. I mean, that's the connotation I got as well. It's some shady shit. It's some shady shit. How he was arrested, why he was arrested this particular time. He was arrested for cocaine. And at first, Madeline was like, dude, we had talked about if you were going to relapse, come to me, talk to me, we'll figure it out. And he didn't. And so she was, I think, a little heartbroken. But, you know, you come around and they would go visit him in prison. And that's hard. I've had to visit family members in prison and it's it's heartbreaking. So so that's one person that he was defending. We'll, we'll meet others later. But Jared Olenoff is another defense attorney. And they work together, Luke and Jared, quite a bit. His initial reaction when Sonia was arrested again was all of these cases that she's touched should be dismissed, right? Right, because they can see on the paperwork that she signed off on this. I mean, like, the way they make it sound that there were like three or four drug analysts in the whole of the state. I mean, like, they name a couple of them by name. But I think that this was a familiar signature on these cases. So if you are defending people, you know... I don't know if this is a public, I mean, I think it's a public defense situation, but these are not high profile cases. These are low, you know, kind of low echelon cases. And I think that she's a very common name. So again, I think that they're, everybody's ears perk up and they're like, holy shit, this might really affect the people that I'm working with. Right. We meet Jorge Diaz, which is one of Jared's clients. And he, you know, got, gets a call from his lawyer, Jared saying, Hey, you're not going to be convicted today. Which is good and well, because they knew that the Sonia Farrick case was going to have some implications, but they didn't know what. So I think they were able to hold off of those people who hadn't been convicted or sentenced yet to kind of put it on hold until they sorted out the Farrick case, right? It wasn't like you're free. It was like, for now, we have to put this on hold. So they still had that kind of hanging over them, though, right? Right. It wasn't, you're not completely out of the woods, right? We've got a little bit more wiggle room. We've got something else going on here that might influence what you're doing. So I think that they're not going to put you in the slammer while while we're figuring it out. Yeah. Also consider the fact that the Ducan case had already happened too. And so there might've been some precedent for some of this. They don't necessarily say it in regards to this specifically, but I think that that was also in the public mind about what was going on here. Right. The Dukin case had been going on, but I think it was close enough that they hadn't really resolved anything yet. So they didn't know what they could and couldn't do. Right. But there's like a, a collective breath holding going on here. Right. Right. So, yeah. right. so let's go back and talk about Sonia a little bit. Her sister, Amy Farrick, discusses how they moved to Rhode Island when they were really little, like one and two ish years old. Very middle class upbringing. We speak to her mother as well, who seems lovely and Obviously, heartbroken and taken aback, she wasn't aware, as most people aren't. People with drug addictions can hide it really, really well. But they talk about, Amy talks about the parents were relatively strict, but that sounds like most parents, right? 
Both girls were really active in sports, but Sonia was the first girl to play in the state of Rhode Island in male football in public school. She played with the high school football team. Which couldn't have been easy. No, but (laughs) it's pretty fucking awesome. You go, girl. Yeah, she seems like a really cool person. Um, She had some stuff going on, as in things going on in a great way, right? She was co-valedictorian of her class. She gets her biology degree from Worcester Polytech Institute in Northern Mass. So, you know, it kind of lends to the fact that she is an up-and-comer, right? She's got some potential. All the things are going right for her. She's had some success in life. And then she ends up in this job. (laughs) Right. Oh, my God. (laughs) She started at the Boston Lab. Yes. She was there for a year, realized it's too expensive to live there, which I'm sure. I mean, 100%. Sure. Ridiculous. And so she moved out to the Amherst Lab. One thing I'm going to point out, which really kind of bothered me, because you don't don't hear about it any other time. But during um, a trial, so they have like reenactments of a trial. They don't talk about which trial, but which they're talking, they're asking Sonia questions and she's answering these questions about what's gone on. They ask her what her partner's name is when she moved to Amherst. She's in a relationship with a woman. Why? That has no relevance anywhere. It, it The only thing I can think of is it biases the jury against her in some way, but it's just, there's no point in that. There's no need for that. Right. They don't kind of give you any context on why that had to be brought up. I don't know if that's just like, you know, it, it it's kind of at the state your name for the record stage of her testimony. You know what I mean? Like, it's just weird how they do it. And so you're just left like, does that re- is that relevant here? It's right. It's never, ever brought up again. Like her sister had talked about it, how she was happy, their relationship and things like that. And it might have led to some issues later if they split up. They never really talk about it, but they don't talk about it again. So I'm like, why was that even mentioned? There's no point, no need. As far as the legal part of this, right, for the testimony part, they do kind of mention that. Once she went to the Amherst lab, they were able to get a little house and it was super cute. And the town they lived in was like progressive and it was fine. I mean, like, so it didn't seem to be like a bad situation or a stressful situation. Right, right. The superficial viewpoint in which, so they're just trying to give you a little bit of background on her and what her, you know, her story is. But again, I think it's so interesting because this is somebody who appears to have come to this problem late in life. We don't hear a lot about that. It's like. I mean, I grew up watching after school specials and you like smoke one joint, you're addicted to heroin. Straight to heroin, yes. You go, you're dancing on the pole and then you die in the gutter. That's what I was told. It's not like at 35, you just come up with a massive addiction. Well, and they point that out too. They do make that comment. But I grew up watching Reefer Madness, so I assume smoking joints means you kill people and commit suicide. That's what I got out of it. Right. I like your timely references because that's like... A hundred years old. That's like in the 30s. And they remade it at some point. And I yeah. saw the musical. So it's the best. Anyway, so she started at the Amherst Lab in 2004. They discussed the difference in the Amherst Lab versus the Boston Lab. And the atmosphere in the Amherst Lab was much more laid back, less stress. As long as you got your work done, people weren't looking over you, hounding you. And there were only a couple people in the lab at a time. And that's kind of important in this case. We hear from our friend Heather again. 
And she talks about that she had never personally been to the Amherst lab, but from the photos and the videos, she can say it was a mess. Yes, ma'am. I can fucking agree. The anxiety I got looking at those pictures, and I thought there's no way anything was regulated at all in that lab, period. Well, so let's paint the picture a little bit, right? So it's dingy. There's no natural light whatsoever. It looks like a tomb. There's boxes and shit everywhere. So it looks, I mean, it really screams, we're disorganized. So those are my initial, my initial thoughts, but it just looks grimy and I don't know, just like something out of fucking Beetlejuice or something. It was terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) It looks like, it looks like how someone would set up a meth lab if they had no idea what a lab looked like, right? In an abandoned building. Yes. It was so bad. Everything is sepia toned. It's the worst. (laughs) Fucking, it's like, I don't know if it's like nicotine stained walls and ceilings that they never well, changed out. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's just like the vibe in there might drive me to mm. do drugs. And I am. Right. Uh, why does the pure driven snow, right? Like, it's just terrible. <laughs> um, but it's on a college campus. Yeah, UMass. Yeah. I like what Heather says. She says they were using the right testing to get the right answers, but they didn't have any good lab practices in place. And I'm like, but that's the foundation for everything however they do state later on their budget for this lab was three hundred thousand a year now if you have four employees they had three chemists and one supervisor that's essentially three hundred thousand dollars a year even if you're paying them trash that's leaving you like 50 grand 100 grand at most to keep the lights on well and i mean there's a lot of consumables used in lab work right so pipette tips gloves, way boats, way papers. I mean, there were some things that you saw in the reenactments that gave me the impression that somebody knew what the fuck was going on in this lab. And then they had one scene (laughs) where they have some drugs on the counter and somebody just sweeps it off with a bare hand. And I'm like, oh, no, don't do that. (laughs) I did not see that. That's the one where I was like, almost turned it off. And this is the second time I've seen this show, but like they have a boat full of white powder, which indicates for all intents and purposes that this is cocaine. And then some just like bare hand just wipes the excess (laughs) right off on the floor. And I'm like, stop it. (laughs) Probably didn't even wash their hands either. (laughs) Oh, I'm just like, could you ever lick that hand too, please? Jesus. (laughs) Oh, we'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) Although I... I'm available for any kind of reenactment consultation. Or reenactments, period. I think I'd be great (laughs) at it. I know what to do. Just give me my motivation and I'm good to go. Right. I can walk into any any coffee room with my lab coat on. I mean, we've been on that road. I'd be great at that. (laughs) Anyway. Someday we'll get famous and someone famous will hear this and put us in movies. I'm just waiting for that. I'm waiting for that. I mean, let's let's be honest. That reenactment was probably true to what was happening in this lab. So <laughs> I, mean, I can't criticize, right? Like that's I'm thinking, true. like please don't do that. That's not the right practice. And they're saying this is the kind of shit they were dealing with here. So this is absolutely what they did. So they didn't keep track of reference materials. Now there's something you need to think about here. The reference materials they were using were cocaine, heroin, <laughs> psilocybin, LSD. These are not like, it's not like sodium chloride in the cabinet, right? But I will say, I believe most of them 
we're in solution. So we have in our lab, a controlled substance room, which only a couple people can get in. And it is highly monitored that if you take something out, you have to weigh the container. When you start, you have to weigh it when you're done. You have to know how much is gone and you have to initial. It's very regulated. But once that standard is in solution, it's no longer regulated because they assume you aren't fucking putting the solution and you're not going to steal the solution, right? You would steal the raw drug, but you're not going to steal the solution, which we find out in this is not true. People will. But I think that's why I can justify them not handling these reference materials like controlled substances. It's the only thing I can give them. I mean, it'd be interesting to understand when those controls came into being, it's possible that that wasn't the case. It is absolutely possible. We do know that some are in solution because Sonia talks about it, but once they're in solution, they're no longer pure. And at one point they asked Sonia if the reference materials were fairly pure. She just said, they're pure, period. And I'm like, um, ma'am, <laughs> were they though? Pure is a relative scale, right? I mean, like she's alive, so it's questionable, but it's like, is it 95%? Is it 99%? That, that's some I mean... goddamn great synthesizing they got going on in this. I'm <laughs> telling you. Man, no audits, no regular, we get audited no hundred times audits. a year, right? And yeah. that's external. So they have no external. You would think if you were hiring out a lab to do this kind of work, that as a state governing body, you would want it fucking audited on a regular basis, yearly, if nothing else, right? Well, I mean, I think in retrospect, again, we can look at this and say, boy, this was a process that wasn't working. But I think they looked at it as a process that, boy, this process is working. We can get this done cheaply, For nothing, yeah, efficiently. And we're getting all them convictions, which is really what they cared about at the end of the day. They don't give one single fuck to how it's how it done. gets done. Yeah. You know, again, we're finding out that being alone in the lab with absolutely no oversight tends to not work real well in the scheme of things. So, yeah, Sonia is, again, uh, the infamous rogue chemist. So they believe that she has tampered with two cases. <laughs> and they're like, okay, cool. Everybody's fine with this. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. So a couple of things they talked about in the lab. There were, like I said, three chemists. And I noted that they had one chemist level three and two chemist level twos. Sonia was a chemist too. And I thought, bitch, I've been there for 10 years. What's it take to get promoted? Fucking hell. You're already getting paid shit. Now you can't even get promoted in 10 years? Can I say to you, again, we kind of, we're talking about the atmosphere in which this testing happened. So she's another one who worked these horrific hours um, for a pittance. But I'm like, okay, I went to school. I have a degree. I work in a place. I've had some jobs better than others. But again, to go to school, get a degree... I mean, whether or not you have debt on top of that, and then to be working for a pittance has to be the most depressing thing ever. Yes. And the only thing that would keep me in that kind of workplace would be the environment. And in this case, it doesn't seem good, right? She's, however, for her, she likes to work on her own. She can go in, she can get her work done and leave. So it is kind of a good environment for her on that aspect. And in a lot of places you can't do that there's going to be other people around like hey how was your weekend and you know <laughs> fucking shit like that that you don't even want to deal with right <laughs> so they were not supposed to assign samples to themselves but they did 
as we discussed in the last episode, they're not supposed to work alone in the lab, but they did. Now, some of that is for safety as well. A lot of labs don't want you to work alone in the lab because if you something happens and you're lying dead, right? They do, like in our building, they have security walkthrough once an hour or something. Make sure no one's lying dead, I guess. In other places we've worked, you have to call into security once an hour if you're mm-hmm. a lone operator if you're to, in, make yeah, sure, yeah. to make sure they know you're alive. So there are some safety precautions there. But in this case, it was also for, I'm guessing, regulatory to kind of keep people in check, although it doesn't seem like they were doing that. They rarely worked together. They just worked on their own and did their own thing, which is fairly normal, right? So let's talk about the fact that this was in an academic building, right? Academic labs do not have great reps for being safety conscious, nor do they have great reps for being documentation sticklers. So I kind of feel like that contributes to the lack of best practices that are going on in this joint. It's possible. I would like to think that if this is not a grad school lab, right? This is an actual lab that just happens to be on a campus. So I would like to think there would be some more oversight, but it doesn't appear that way. I just something that occurred to me. Yeah. And if you're hiring people straight out of academia, that's what they know. So I don't know. So we're back to Sonny answering questions. They asked, had you ever taken meth prior to working in the lab? No. Did you take any of the reference material at the lab? Part of it, she said. When they asked why, she said she was curious. Who's curious about meth of all, I mean, of all the drugs? That doesn't seem one to be curious about. Yeah, I'm not aware of the meth as a real gateway situation. And let's talk about how she, how she came to this, right? Or how she executed this. (laughs) Okay, let's just put a little background on this. When you're in the lab, kids. You don't put anything in your mouth. Okay? Nothing you goes in your mouth in lab. You just don't I, do it. I have you that written so many it. times on this piece of paper. <laughs> nothing goes in your mouth in lab. No, nothing. <laughs> it's a vile and horrible place where there's just germs and gross stuff everywhere. So everywhere. you need to watch one video where they have the black light and contamination and you'll just realize you're covered head to toe with whatever you're working with. It's just like, we don't want to think about it. We don't want to talk about it. Don't open your mouth. So one day she just walks over to the standard cabinet. It's a fridge in this case, glass door fridge. And there's an amber bottle with a dropper of methamphetamine standard. And she just takes a dropper full on her tongue. And I was like, Blah, blah, blah. Like, it was just like ran straight for the mouthwash, like, so problematic. And then she's just tripping balls. That's not what meth does, but yeah. Well, whatever. I, again, I don't <laughs> I know. love that you thought that. <laughs> <laughs> it's speed, right? So she oh, was, right. she felt like she was much more uh, aware. She was really efficient. She was, she felt like she was doing her job better, which she very well might have been, but that doesn't matter. You're still impaired. She also would dip a metal spatula, which is what used in the lab to weigh shit out, in it and then lick it. And I, oh, no. <laughs> no. <sighs> I know, it's really, yeah, it's, it's just hard to think about somebody doing this. Her justification was her work was still fine. She said, no one questioned my work. Most people being arrested for drugs know whether the material they had was drugs or not. If at any time she said it was positive and they knew it should be negative, they could have requested it to be reanalyzed. 
stop it. Can we talk about at this point what her mom said? Which part? Yeah. Her mom was like, look, that shit was drugs or she wouldn't have stolen it. <laughs> it's like, it's a bold fucking statement, madam. Linda, stop it. I thought that's what Sonia had told her. She had said, well, they deserve to be in jail because if it, was, if it wasn't drugs, I wouldn't have taken it. Yeah. Linda says it, though. Yeah. Linda does say it. And I'm just like, oh, girl. <laughs> you know, no one stopped me, so it was okay, is essentially the statement <laughs> yeah. I get here. I think this is further proof that they're guilty. And I'm like, oh, that's that's some, oh, yeah, so much to say about that. And at this point, she isn't tampering at the evidence, right? She's just taking reference material standards. But you also see here as the case progresses, how the attorney general really is working to keep the case to those two samples that were tampered with. They don't want to go rerun any samples from more than a year ago or eight years ago when she started, they just want to just these two samples. That's all we have here. The defensive attorneys are trying to get the cases, the past cases kind of tested again or, you know, dismissed or whatever, but really they just wanted to keep this investigation as small as possible. And I can't remember who said it, but one of the, I think it was one of the DA said, when you start a case trying to contain it, it isn't good. Your job isn't to contain it. It's to figure out what the truth is. And I like that. Absolutely. It just wasn't, it doesn't look good for them if it's far worse than they thought. And again, the defense attorneys, in my opinion, have a little bit more critical thinking here, or at least that's what they're, we don't get the prosecutors. I mean, they're not necessarily focused on so much at this point, but yeah, it's definitely like, okay, what is the scope of this? Which I think is a completely logical question. Right. And they made the point that, you kind of made was no one really starts a drug addiction at the age of 35. It doesn't just happen upon it. Right. It's probably been going on for some time. So she starts with the meth standard and she talks about how often she was doing it. She talks about how, um, not necessarily how long, but she would be like, she used it 12 times a day and it was all crazy. And, you know, they weren't checking the levels of these things. It's not like when your mom draws a, line on the bottle of vodka <laughs> so they fill it with water yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so eventually she gets in a panic because her boss Mr. Hanshet is deciding that he is going to do an audit of this shit because I assume their freezer is just or their fridge is disgusting and he's like hmm about time for that decade long <laughs> required audit once or whatever a, once a decade audit yeah so she ends up putting some water in with the standard but it separates because it's water and that is suspended in an organic solution of something some sort. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't like mix. It just separates. And then her boss is like, well, this is old. Like what? I have several comments about this. <laughs> First of all, he's like, yes, it must be the age of the standard. It's degraded. And he throws it out. My comment to this is, when she's been doing it for five years at this point, if she started in 2004 and, oh, she said, started getting high in like 2005, I think. And uh, this is 2009, so four years. Solutions are not as stable as solid powder material, right? Once it's in solution, it is much less stable. Even in an amber bottle to protect it from light, even in the refrigerator, it probably had already degraded. You probably already are seeing less purity or metabolizing things of that nature. It's probably shit standard already. 
So I'm guessing most of the standards in that fridge were shit. Period. They threw that one out. And it appears that they never got a new one. Like he just threw it out. (laughs) And they never talked about ordering a new one. How are they testing for methamphetamines then? I mean, it really looks like methamphetamine. That's what we learned. That is what we learned. And also, let's say that they kept it. Let's say that the water mixed with the solution. It went into solution just fine. And he checked it. He's like, this is fine. She knows as a chemist, the next time you run that, you've fucked up the purity of it. Now, you don't know what it is at all. But it's no it's no good. She's unconcerned. I mean, it's this is a self-serving situation. And it's terrifying. So we know that she was into the meth. We know that she was into the ketamine. We know that she was into some other standards like amphetamines, where she went amphetamines. to next. Yeah. Yes. So she is going for whatever is easiest in her mode of delivery, right? So, but she eventually gets to a point where there's nothing easy to get her sticky fingers on, and she's got to have she's going to have to come up with a new way to feed that addiction. I like how Heather had commented. She said, I don't think Sonia's a bad chemist. I think a lot of her actions were questionable, but she showed up every day and seemed to do her job well. She says amphetamines can be performance enhancing, which they can be. But again, you can't guarantee results at that point. You're impaired. But I like her comment. She said, I mean, she's not Annie Dukin. (laughs) (laughs) True. I mean, she was maybe doing the testing. There's a a certain point where she doesn't think she was in the lab, but she was making, there was results recorded. So yeah, she at least has results. Our friend Luke Ryan and Jared are working to throw out all the cases. They're waiting for the attorney generals to actually do an investigation, to look into it, to really throw the book at Sonia Farrick. And that never comes to light. It's kind of impressive. And also, this is something I learned here and not on Legally Blonde, what exculpatory evidence was. How did I not learn that on Legally Blonde? I mean, I don't know what they, I don't remember them specifically talking about that. But if we want to talk about mens rea, then we got it. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. But there is a rule that prosecutors have to share all exculpatory evidence, which is any evidence that can show the defendant was not guilty of wrongdoing or can justify the wrongdoing or, you know, could benefit the defendant versus the prosecutor. And the explanation is here that it's the prosecutors that get the information from the police and, you know, the investigation. So then they are legally required to share that with the defense attorney. So it's like different suspects or whatever, you know what I mean? So there are many avenues that exculpatory evidence can embody. Like it's not just one list of things, but I mean, I think that there's some pretty standard things that they know that they need to share, but yeah, they're required to do that. Yeah. That's part of their job. And so Luke and Jared are asking the attorney general for a list, you know, kind of what did you get from the car? What evidence do you have? They're asking, they're asking. Finally, they get an email and they're like, here it is. Here's everything. And it's a document dump. They're like, it's like 2,500 pages. The first half is just manuals for lab equipment. (laughs) Well, okay. to me, this is like a fucking move, right? Like, we're just going to overwhelm you with details. And I'm like, with bullshit, you, yeah. do you not know who, you know what I mean? Like, that's just, it's a petty move. In my opinion. So It I is. Mean, it is. But maybe that's part of it. Whatever. I don't know. 
there is a three-page police report on the items recovered from her car, and most of the documents are called assorted lab paperwork. That's word for word what they called all of this. Now, if it is assorted lab paperwork, that's still wrong because you're not supposed to take shit home from lab exactly. period. <laughs> Especially yeah. if it's evidence. Why would you take paperwork out of the lab? There's absolutely no, no. reason for that. No. No, there isn't. I don't work in any kind of environment like that. And I still am not allowed to take paperwork home. So I've been in industry, like working in a lab for 20 years and never have they been like, you know what you can do? Just take that on home. (laughs) No, never. (laughs) Finish it up there. That'll be great. Right. Yeah. No. But the police delivered like three boxes of paperwork to the attorney general's office. Now, Jared and Luke really want to see what's in those boxes physically see what's in those boxes because the sorted lab paperwork is just isn't cutting it right right it's just not detailed enough to understand what that is so I, again i think that this is a great example of people paying attention and they want to do their due diligence like they i think they accept the fact that it could be complete garbage but they just want to know for sure yeah why not and so they talked to someone named chris uh I know chris I have foster. a last thank you chris foster You're she welcome. was like fresh new to life new to the ag's office and she was the one assigned to this and they're like hey fellow lawyer person we would like to get this information and she's like nah it's an ongoing investigation no can do very direct not gonna happen we're still investigating miss farrick and you cannot see that until this case is over with so they file a subpoena to see the contents to which she squashes it. And this is also where we meet Buffy Spencer. Fantastic. Buffy Spencer, legal journalist by day and, of course, vampire slayer by night. As we all know. As we know. But she talks about, as a legal journalist, she's in the courtroom quite a bit. So she gives us some insight into the courtroom behaviors and such. But the best part is of this whole thing is, like, basically she's sitting there going, excellent. Like, she's (laughs) very excited about you know what's going down in this courtroom and she's talking about how by the late summer of 2013 there are a lot of defendants who filed motions to get their cases dismissed right so there's one judge who was assigned to the bulk of this his name was judge kinder not associated with the chocolate clearly the delicious kinder egg yeah oh yeah that's illegal in the united states not guns those kinder eggs could kill someone (laughs) (laughs) So this task, his task was to determine when Sonia Farrick started her shenanigans, essentially. What's the scope and what's the timing, right? That's his job. He's someone who didn't like a lot of arguments from lawyers. I mean, but isn't that part of being a lawyer? That's like your job definition, argue, right? Well, he can't be bothered. No, true. And so Kim Foster, I mean, I like how Buffy's like, this woman really pissed the judge off and that's rare because he generally shows no emotion and he like got really shitty with her. He asked her, what haven't you disclosed? Is there anything you haven't disclosed to defense? And she's like, I can't say I haven't looked at the files. (laughs) And that's a bold statement, right? Right. Especially when she was like, there's nothing here. Well, actually she didn't say that. She said that there's an open investigation and so that she's not going to share it. And so they're like, Hey, we got to see this. And then she's like, no. But the judge is like, is there anything there? And she's like, mm, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. And so he lights her up and she's supposed to go take a look at it. Yeah. She's like, it's irrelevant. He's just looking for whatever. And the judge is like, bitch, it's my job to determine what's relevant. You can give it to me. 
So then he tells her to go through all the evidence and submit it back. She writes a letter to the judge that says, we reviewed the files and everything has been turned over already. So he's like, okay, he takes that on face value, which I guess you should, but it seems sketchy. Well, again, I think that there's some legal precedent. Like this is part of your job. This is, you can't just be like, nah, I I don't think it entered his mind that they would not do it appropriately. I know. I know. But I feel like most lawyers are sketchy as hell. But look, he's a man and he told her to do it. So. (laughs) So of course she's going to (laughs) behave. Yes. So the judge denied the motion to inspect. He made the verdict that the tampering had only gone back to the summer of 2012, July of 2012. Remember, she was arrested in January 2013. So about six months, six months for that drug addiction. Buffy says, how can you decide she was a good worker then just went bad on a certain day? And I'm like, thank you, Buffy. Thank you. She expired like milk overnight. But like you said, he's a white man. He can make these tough calls. He's got this. (laughs) She probably had a wandering (laughs) uterus, so it's fine. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, kind of come back to something we talked about before is there are a lot of people who are out of jail while this is trying to be, I mean, waded through legally. Now that this ruling has come down, if you weren't in that 2012 to 2013 window that they've specified, you had to go back to jail because your case stood and whatever. So there were several instances, especially we talked about Rafael Rodriguez, who ended up having to go back after he has been out and is like working and like has some good life shit going on. Right. So he is yanked away from that and has to go back to jail. And they talk about how horrible and heartbreaking it was. and I can't imagine how hard I can't either I can't either I not just for the person being convicted but also for the family it's it's hard for everybody it's just horrible I don't know if you noticed that all the men that they showed in court getting taken back to prison were men of color every one of them it's just terrible it's yeah the worst kind of it's always the same at some point I shouldn't be surprised but I still am constantly surprised I don't know. Well, I think your eyes have been, I mean, like for a while, but our opening, maybe, maybe somebody else will get it. I mean, that's really all we can do is just be like, Hey, there's a thing here. Maybe pay attention. So, yeah. Sonia's supervisor talked about how she'd always been a good employee. She was meticulous. And when he kept saying meticulous, I kept thinking, I don't think that word means what you think it means, but <laughs> sure. I mean, she was here. So that's meticulous. So. She showed up, she punched a time card. But only in the last few months did she start doing less and coming in and out of the lab. Only in the last few months did it get real sketch. Which is interesting because she talks about a lot more drug use. She talks about trying the cocaine standard after the amphetamine standard. Because she can't deplete all the standards. She's come to terms with that, right? Right. I mean, she's had some self-awareness that she can't get caught. I mean, there's a real secrecy vibe going on in here. So she's looking for all kinds of things to (laughs) And she kind of talks about the shit she did that didn't work. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Right. So she started taking, she started going through evidence. Like you said, there had to be a switch. So she can no longer take from the standards. She was doing the cocaine standards. She moved to taking cocaine samples. But at a certain point, her drug use is getting heavier, but the cases are getting fewer. She is, they're getting fewer and fewer cocaine cases. So she can't skim 20% off the top and no one notice, right? Because these are smaller and smaller takes. So she starts trying to make crack and bless her heart. It's, it's impressive. That's when she's like, well, I started with like an aluminum foil pipe and then I tried 
lab glassware and then I put a coil in it and I'm like, I mean, Google did exist then. She could have Googled it, I'm sure. But I guess trial and error. I don't know. Again, I say to you, your Google search is also forever. Like, <laughs> that's true. I've seen enough true crime shit to be like, you cannot Google what does arsenic do to the human body and then kill your wife with arsenic and then be like, my goodness, in it. Yes, they can find that. It's They yeah. can find that. It's just amazing. And they will. They They really will. So she kind of figures out that she can get good at making crack. Mm-hmm. She starts cooking it in the lab. <laughs> I'm like, how alone are you? <laughs> she was coming in. Yeah, she was coming in late Christ. at night and making these, like she would talk about huge seizures. So she could pull off a big skim of a, you know, a kilogram. She could pull off a big amount and then make a, a large enough batch of crack that would last her for a little while. Right. Right. Oh, my so God. she's smoking crack in the hood. She's smoking <laughs> crack in the bathroom. So the hood is pretty ingenious, right? Because it removes the smell of things. It's, like you're not. Yes. Fume yeah. hood, not like ghetto hood. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so this is something that's got a lot of air displacement and it's piping out the smell and the smoke. So A, it's not sending off fucking alarms, although maybe more than smoking, you'd have to, it has to be, I don't know what the trip for that is. But yeah, she was going to the bathroom. She was she was leaving like 10, 12 times a day. And she was leaving for like 20 minutes at a time, half an hour at a time. So she wasn't just going to the bathroom. And her, you know, people would call asking, you know, they need to talk to her about results or something. And she's not there. And pe- her coworkers would go look for her. They couldn't find her. You know, they noticed. And I love how people doing this are like, no one knows. No one knows. I'm completely in the clear. Everyone's oblivious. <laughs> and everyone is like, fuck, we know. We see. We can tell. I guess her supervisor pulls her aside in 2012 because she's like, well, maybe my productivity was getting lower. Lower, you spent most of your day smoking crack. So even if you were more productive when you were in the lab, you aren't in the lab that often. So Right. Our friend Andrea, the reporter, says that there were some rumors about drugs. So it seems like there were more than two tampering. So again, this looks to me like the reporters tend to make, I mean, they're they're good investigators, right? So they can kind of do a lot of searching beyond just the superficial but I'm like this seems like it was one phone call and they were like yeah there were totally rumors about her drug use you know what I mean right (laughs) like they're releasing it so piecemeal so like the public doesn't know what's going on the reporters don't know what's going on and you know they're still dealing with the Andy Dukin case and so it's just it's a lot I'm sure so let's kind of flip over to Luke Ryan again. He's got a client. His name's Rolando Pinate. Pinate. Yep. And he's been charged, but he's not been tried. So he's being held regardless while all this bullshit is going on, which is, in my opinion, pretty tough because that's sort of uh, against the Bill of Rights, but whatevs. And, you know, he hears that this is Luke. Here's the prosecutors are planning. This is where I, I have the bit about the police testimony. Be like, sure did look like drugs. <laughs> Like, yeah. Jesus Christ. Thank yeah. you for being on top of things enough to challenge this bullshit. Right. Because Luke was like, hey, if she can't testify, Sonya can't testify, you can't use the data that she produced, what are you bringing to the table? And this is where he's like, yeah, we're going to get an expert police officer to testify that it looked like heroin to him. So it's good enough for me. And then I have a lot of questions about this police officer. Like, <laughs> how do you know what heroin looks like? <laughs> How much heroin have you taken? Yeah. 
Because Rolando was arrested for apparently selling a $20 bag of heroin to an undercover cop. He's how long is he going to spend in prison for a goddamn $20 bag of supposed heroin? It's obscene. What I have is that he got seven years. Yeah. They offered him three and he's like, no, let's fucking fight it. Good for him. And because of the kinder paradigm that they called it, they weren't allowed to bring up drug or the evidence tampering or any kind of drug use at all. Because that was still pending, right? They were investigating and all that stuff at the time. Well, and his crime, he was arrested in November of 2011. So it was prior to that July 2012 issue. Had it been past that, I think they might have been able to use it. And so the jury found him guilty and they gave him seven years. I do love at this point that they switch over to Sonia's sister, Amy, and she's talking about she, I mean, they're kind of getting the inkling of how bad Sonia's drug use was. They want her to get help rather than to go to jail. And I'm like, duh. <laughs> so said everybody in, with anybody that was involved in this. Yeah. I was going to say, what about the people she convicted? Don't you think they deserve, you know, rehab? 100%. So Sonia's convicted of 18 months or she's got an 18 month conviction, right? So a sentence, I guess is the right way to say that. And so this is when they talk about when she gets out, it was tough because she couldn't drive and she had to be places and do things. And it's just like, yes. And what just desserts, in my opinion, that you were, you know, kind of funneling this circumstance for other people, but it's like a shock to you that this is, you know what I mean? What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. I think the 18 months is laughable. Yes. It's a slap in the face, right? (laughs) That's what I thought too. Rolando got seven years for a $20 bag. In theory, if he had sold a $20 bag of heroin to someone who genuinely wanted it, they were ruining their life by choice. She is possibly ruining a lot of people's lives without their knowledge. Right. And she got 18 months and it's just obscene. I just have no words for him. Yeah, the difference is, like, she didn't have the intent to distribute. At least that was not talked about in this. So, I mean, it's free drugs, technically. And how many people How many people that were arrested were just buying that $20 bag and using it? They weren't, you know what I mean? And they probably got right, more than 18 no months, too. It's, it's just one of those things that it's just very skewed. They talk about Rolando is a Cuban immigrant, which is part of the problem in general. He speaks Spanish and and not much English. And so it, yeah, there's a lot going on that is unfortunate. He looks like, oh, fuck. Sean Connery? Yes. In The Medicine Man. Oh, yes. Yes. With the ponytail and <laughs> <in> that. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But I'm guessing Rolando didn't hit women. So I'm just saying. Right. A hundred percent. He seems like a cool cat. So sorry. I just. I just, it's so funny to think about, it's not funny, but it, I think you're right. You're pointing out an injustice. Like she's a white lady. Everybody else that was pointed out in this was not a white lady or a white man. And boy, oh boy, does it seem like it made a difference. So box over. So David Sullivan kind of talks a little bit about, he's surprised about Sonia's plea deal. And that came with no information from Sonia. So it seems like one of those things that they just rush, rush through and she is not really on the hook to talk about any of this. So I think that there were some people that were like, hmm, interest. Right. seems like a very one-sided deal. 
Our friend Luke, he's continuing to fight for a peek at those assorted lab paperworks. <laughs> and since the ferret case was no longer open, that had been kind of come to a verdict per se, he now kind of has an opportunity to leverage that because that was the reason that he was denied initially. His motion was denied because that was still open. And now that that's shut, maybe he's got a little bit more uh, wiggle room and ability to get his grubby mitts on that. So he gets, he does get to, he sends a letter and they can't say no anymore. Um, so they had to let him look at the documents. So he goes there and he looks through all those boxes of three banker boxes under the watchful eye of like a sheriff or something that's sitting there at the table. And he found papers that had nothing to do with lab work. They were like emotion regulation worksheets and like drug diaries for lack of a better word. They're personal papers about therapy and drug therapy and keeping track of her drug use and how she felt and things like that. Right. Very personal. Right. So you understand at this point that she's been in drug treatment for a while and there are dates and shit on that. So he's like, Eureka. And they let him take pictures. And I'm like, what was that sheriff doing? I know. Well, on his phone, probably. <laughs> yeah. He was taking pictures, waiting for the sheriff to be like, and we're done. So they were dates like December 22nd, but there was no year. And, but there was like, it's a Thursday, December 22nd. So you can narrow it down a little bit. And then he had other things like she would make comments like she used drugs on this day and she was working. So she missed like the Patriots playing. And so then you could go back. It's when did the Patriots play on this day? There was a lot of Googling, but he was able to get the year. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of Sherlock Holmes to arrive at these like cobbling together of this evidence to figure out that she used on the same day that his guy Rolando's case was tested because he of course has the dates of that so he was right, able to it's on the of... paperwork yep mm-hmm. he knows that on December 22nd 2011 is the date that the drug certificate was signed that the testing was done and so he knows that on December 22nd of some year she's done drugs he narrows it down yes it is the December 22nd of 2011 on that day she started by smoking crack because that's how you start a day who needs coffee anyway then she got a submission of liquid LSD and decided to take that as well. Fucking hell, girl. It's just balls to the wall at that point. That's when she's tripping. Just so Thank you know, you. for future okay. reference. <laughs> yes. So she talks about it and she's like, she remembers not being able to function too well. You think? You think? I mean, I, as a teenager, went to work tripping and it did not go well either. I... <laughs> Had a customer ask for a beef whopper and I had no idea what a beef whopper is. <laughs> and my manager had to tell me all whoppers are beef whoppers. And I was just like, I need to go home anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so she was impaired enough that she knew she couldn't drive, but she could work. I don't know. And she continued to smoke crack while on LSD. I'm, how did her heart not explode is what I want to know. I mean, tolerance, I guess. She said that she did tests in the morning, but none in the afternoon. However, that was just because she doesn't remember doing them. Her notebook shows that she did several tests in the afternoon, one of which was Rolando's. So, dear listener, this is when you know that she's fucked. <laughs> like, I mean, she's already been sentenced and whatever, but this is sort of where you're like, 
oh, she's impaired enough. She doesn't know what the fuck she's doing. And now they've got kind of the system by the balls, right? Because they're like, it's fine. It's fine. She totally knew. And she was like a super analyst when she was <laughs> cocaine or whatever, meth and stuff. So now you know that she has been tripping balls. Thank you very much. And so Luke knows. He's like, oh, yeah, bitches. I totally got her. Again, not her personally, because he actually demonstrates a lot of empathy for her as an addict because he understands the perspective of addicts a lot. So again, I really like him because he's like, she was a cog in the wheel that was fucked up. And so I just love that about him too, that he's like, this is not her yeah. problem, but I also am going to use it to help the clients because that's what justice is. So now Luke is working to see if the AG and the police actually were covering up this evidence. Was it just an oversight? What was it? Right. He sends a letter to the new AG and she agreed that there might've been something sketchy. So she appoints two retired judges and two straight state troopers to look into this, which state troopers and judges don't normally, well, I guess judges were lawyers at one point in time, but they don't normally look into evidence and solve crimes. Right. So I appreciate that. She's like, yep, let's do something. They reviewed all the stuff, interviewed people, including Chris, our friend, and a report was generated, which was essentially a letter that said, not nothing to see here. Move along. It's all cool. It's all cool. Yeah. 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 Mm hmm. The only person who did anything wrong was essentially Luke Ryan. Yeah. That's it. How dare he make noise against the uh, the powers that be. This perfect system. Perfect. But there was, there were emails. They said everything was discussed. The AG knew everything. It was discussed. It's in these emails. Okay. Yeah. The, nothing is wrong. Like nothing needs to be disclosed. That's what was discussed in the emails. So the letter says. They discussed what it was. And and it was fine. It didn't it didn't merit giving it over. And so all these emails were on a disc that one of the judges possessed. So he sends an email or calls the judge and says, Hey yo, can I get a copy of this? And he's like, Yeah, totally cool, whatever. I love how Luke meets him at like a bookstore in the mall and brings his mom for protection. <laughs> <laughs> in case someone was gonna make a scene. <laughs> I mean, who's gonna defend you better though than your goddamn mom? Come at you like a spider monkey, bitch. Right? Don't mess with yeah. my kids. <laughs> so he starts going through these emails in chronological order. And he starts at the bottom. And they're not looking good for the AG. It proves that they they knew what the evidence was. They knew about her problems. But they never shared it with the defense. And they actively took steps not to share with the defense. Right. And it was stuff like, me, I don't like Luke Ryan. Me, me, me. Like, it was right. so petty. <laughs> Right. So petty. He's the worst. And like, basically, we need you to make this motion go away. And we don't want to share it because we don't want it to get like, it would be really be so much better for everybody if this just stayed small as possible. And the best part is not only did they not give this evidence over, but they lied to the judge. They lied to Judge Kinder about, no, we gave them everything already when they hadn't. And that was really the big one. That's when all the lawyers were like, oh, my gosh. You don't ever lie to the judge, but Chris did. She had no problems doing that. Well, there was another broad that was in on that too, right? And that was... Her boss, yeah. Yes. And Kaczmarek. So they were in cahoots and they took active steps that this wasn't released to the defense. After this, after seeing the documents in the box and going through all this, he wants to see the therapist records, right? Which is fairly difficult because that should be your safe space. I get it. So he gets, he goes to a judge to get 
permission to get these records and he gets permission. In March 2015, he gets the records. He had to sign a protected order to view them. There could be no pictures or copies made. It's very strict and regulated. Not the drugs, but this. This is regulated. And I appreciate that he understood the importance and the relevance. This is someone's very personal life. And it's not fair to really disclose that. But he could immediately see that the issue didn't start in 2011 and 2012, right? She'd begun treatment in 2009. She talked about you know, her life, how she'd suffered from depression her whole life. And she had talked about her drug problem leading up to going to therapy. She had mentioned she had been taking drugs from her jobs since she started working at that lab. Very beginning. Luke was able to convince the judge that the liberty of his clients kind of supersedes her privacy with this information and wanted it to be able to be used in a trial to try to get his patients freed. Patients? They're not patients. Clients freed. And the judge did get permission to release the records. But unfortunately, some of those got to the media, which that does suck. That's not right to do that. It is really unfortunate because I do think that there should be some ability to have a discussion. But again, it's really tough because she made active choices that drug other people into this the maelstrom that this was, right? So it's sort of like, it's such a catch-22. And I think that they did the right thing because there were so many other people affected and it wouldn't have been fair to like, just let this go for the sake of one person. So in April, 2015, Raphael is released from prison. He has to look for work, but obviously had difficulty getting it. But also he's not free-free, right? They're still working on dealing with the Sonia Farrakh shit that happened. So it's like, okay, you're released while we try to figure this out. So he knows that he might have to go back again and finish his sentence, which has got to be extremely stressful. You just never fucking know what's going to happen. Unfortunately, in the spring of 2016, his wife found him dead on the kitchen floor from an overdose. And it is heartbreaking. I can't imagine how horrible that was. And he probably had very little hope at that point in time. Well, I think it's sort of the the dagger hanging above your head, right? Like at any moment, it could change. And yeah, and I think that, you know, trying to live with something like that would be extremely difficult. And so it's Luke that really tells us that story. I mean, his wife does come in and kind of talk a little bit about it. But Luke says, you know, did we do him a disservice by taking him out of prison, right? Maybe he would have been better just to serve his time. I know. And that breaks my heart that he feels that guilt when he was just trying to help his client and... It's Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Luke takes his case to the Supreme Court, and Rebecca Jacobstein is the appellate defense lawyer for the Farrakh defendants. She states that the state should have done a better job investigating to determine the scope and timing of the lab misconduct. They didn't do anything. They actively squashed data and evidence to minimize the crimes that were committed. The Supreme Judicial Court rules the aid G office did an inadequate job of investigating the case. They should do their own investigation to figure the shit out or the court would do it for them. Essentially you do it. You have one chance to do it right this time. Get your shit together. So that's when Maura Healy, the new AG really starts to look into what happened. September 16th, 2015, Sonia Farrick testifies for a grand jury. So she's already released from prison at this point. She's done her time. And to get her to testify, they've given her immunity, not like forever, but for any crimes that she discussed about this time period, she has immunity, which allows her to open up 
and you know, the benefit outweighs getting her for any more crimes. Right. And I think this was the best move. Because you can be punished for not telling the truth in this case, right? She said that in almost 10 years, she processed almost 30,000 pieces of evidence. This is the one that got me. She talks about putting standards into her Diet Coke can. And the Diet Coke can was sitting on the bench like they were just eating and drinking in the lab. And she's just a drop for you, a drop for me, a drop for you. (laughs) I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, I guess I've worked at labs where you could drink in like coffee that were covered in that. But it's just not a lab like that. But still, I mean, knowing what you know now, you're just like, okay, but there's still gross stuff on the top of your sealed cup. So whatever. Take one micro class, people. It's disgusting. (laughs) You know, they're talking a lot about it was shockingly easy for her to use at work. There was no oversight. Like she was, I mean, it it just sounds like the Wild West in there. And it's terrifying. (laughs) There was no auditing. They talk about there was never any drug testing of the employees, not before they started, not in the middle of... I don't think that's the end all be all right. Drug testing is what it is. Most of us have to do it to get a job. And then only if there's an accident, do you get another drug test? I have worked at labs where they random drug tested all the time. And for some reason I always got picked and I'm not sure if it's because they thought I was going to pass or fail, but either way I got to go read a book for a while while I drank some water so I could pee in a cup, but that's not the best check, right? Because if people know that it's coming. So but in a in a lab like that, I guess drug testing would be a better, because you are dealing with a lot of controlled substances, it probably is a good idea to have that in place. But just other, like audits in general, to keep shit in order, any lab should have that. Even when I worked at like oil labs in that, we had audits every year from a regulatory body. It's just good practice. Yeah, I think to have... I mean, I'm, I'm used to working in labs that have internal audits. They're like, hey, we want to be our first checkers of our process to make sure that there aren't any problems because most of us report downstream to a regulatory body of some kind and you are in far more trouble if they catch your shit than if you catch and your if own you shit. Catch it. Yep. So you, you kind of learn that lesson that this is how grown folks do science. I don't know how else to say it. Well, and I think the best part is she didn't think she did her job incorrectly. She only thought that the only thing she thought she did wrong was taking the evidence, right? And she felt like if she did everything well, there would never be anyone to question the evidence. Therefore, they wouldn't have to go back and retest and find the fake shit she put back in place. That's interesting logic. Right. So to me, it comes back to, you know, this is something that's like almost like a confirmation bias. She wants to think of this as in a certain way because it's less painful for her to think of herself this way. Like, I know I'm a, I'm an addict, but my work is fine. And so it's just interesting perspective. It is. Luke had to subpoena some of the uh, attorney general lawyers and their supervisors and make them testify in court that they didn't do anything wrong. Now, this is my favorite part of the entire documentary because it's cringy for me to watch really bad lab practices. But (laughs) this part was fun because in December of 2016, they're back in court. And I like Buffy's commenting. She's like, I don't think judge Carey had any idea what he was getting into, but he found out real fast. They talked to police officers and prosecutors about how they did their job, which is probably nice for defense attorneys to be like, "Mm Hmm. Did you do that? Right. Mm Hmm. Even the judge chimed in at one point to say, okay, clearly stuff didn't get turned over. Was it 
just an oversight, like an honest mistake? Or was this intentional? And that's the real question here. Buffy said it got real exciting when Luke got to cross-examine Anne Kaczmarek as Chris's supervisor. And I like how he started by handing her an email that she wrote saying she didn't like him. (laughs) (laughs) But he's like, we've never met, right? Like, so this was sort of a, I think she didn't like him by position, not by a personal thing. So, I mean, I think it paints her in a terrible light and I'm so well done by him. Bravo. She said the mental health worksheets and drug diary were not relevant to Luke Ryan's case. And originally that was her comment in the emails. This is not relevant. And he asked her, do you now see the relevance to my cases? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I totally see it now. Yeah, sorry about that. (laughs) Sure, Jan, thanks. When asked if she turned over the worksheets, she said she did not. When he said why, she said, I don't know. It was an honest mistake. Um, It didn't look that way in the email. Right. So then they kind of let her go. And then Chris is up on the stand. And again, it's sort of down the same path, right? Like, why didn't you turn this over? And she's like, well, my superiors told me not to. And well, why did your superiors tell you not to? And she's like, um, cause it would look bad. I mean, I don't know exactly what it was that she said. Ugh, she, she kind of pissed me off, but they're like, Oh, there was a breakdown. There wasn't a breakdown. It wasn't overlooked. You were asked for it several times and several times you said no. So it wasn't like, it was one time and you just never got back to it. You forgot that post-it sitting on your wall and what it meant. Yeah. Chris threw her supervisor under the bus. That Anne Kaczmarek got thrown straight under the bus. She did. He asked her, here's the letter you wrote to the judge saying, we gave him everything. Is that a lie? And she said, no. <laughs> she <laughs> believed everything. Yeah. She believed everything was turned over. She admitted to not reviewing a single document in the ferret case. So she had no idea if something had not been turned over. That's a bold statement of admitting how horrible you are at your job. I don't understand how she thought that was better than just admitting you didn't fucking give him the shit. Well, I think it's better to say I was incompetent rather than I was malicious. I think that's the move there. It's fantastic in the worst way. So she is called out as having fraud upon the court she and Anne Kazmarek are in the same boat here so and it doesn't seem like a big deal but the lawyers are like "Ooh, you don't see that very often I know they're like (laughs) they got in trouble but it vindicated Luke which was good Judge Carey dismissed the charges against Rolando Pinate with prejudice. I don't know what that means with prejudice versus without prejudice. Do you know, I hope means? it means with a bunch of money. Like, <laughs> I don't think that's what happened, but still. Take a stab in the dark and say that's not the case. After five years in custody, he was released. So we only had two more to go. But he did get to see his kids and his grandkids. And it was very sweet to watch him with his little grandbabies. He was among one of the last defendants to be released from prison because of the tainted drug evidence from the Amherst lab. And most of that had to do with his immigration status, which is fucking stupid. There are still tens of thousands of people with felony convictions on their records based on drug evidence tested by Sonia Farrick and Annie Dukin. April 2017, after years of litigation by the ACLU, the Supreme Judicial Court of the Massachusetts issued a ruling on the Andy Dukin cases. Told prosecutors you can either dismiss the cases outright you can come back to us and let us know you can evict these people without Dugan's analysis. Which is the right call. Right. Because understandably, if you convicted them of drug crime, but also they had murdered someone, okay, they can still stay in prison for murder, 
but the drug charge has to be taken off, right? That makes sense. They dismissed 21,839 drug convictions. Holy shit. Now they're working on the ferret cases and the misconduct of the Massachusetts Attorney General. May 2018, the Massachusetts uh, Supreme Judicial Court hears arguments for the ferret defendants and all of the drug convictions that were done with Sony Ferrick's testing were dismissed. So they say that the Massachusetts drug lab scandals involving Annie Dugan and Sonia Farrick have led to the dismissal of more than 35,000 criminal convictions. Jesus Christ. One of the biggest mis- miscarriages of justice in American history. And what really brought this to light was just the defense attorneys who refused to give up on their clients and kept fighting and fighting because I think a lot of people would have let it slide. It's too much work. They don't want to bother or whatever, but these guys just really, really pushed. Right. And I think it's okay to say that these are throwaway clients. That's how, what most people thought about this case. I mean, these were drug users and stuff like that. And these were, I mean, the defense attorneys were the ones who were like, look, this isn't right. We are going to hunt this down. So again, I think they really come through as they got some serious white knight shit going on there. It's pretty awesome. I would like to talk about the fact that Ann Kaczmarek and Chris Foster left the attorney general's office for other government posts. They were never sanctioned. Never sanctioned. Mm-mm. They're still serving their country. Mm. How wonderful. Mm-hmm. With sure they've learned their lesson, no doubt. Oh, absolutely. Martha Coakley. Let's talk about old Martha. What's she doing now? She's a lobbyist for Juul, the e-cigarette company. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lobbyist. That sounds like, are you just, do you sign a deal with the devil to become a lobbyist? It sounds like the most horrible person ever. Right. They just don't have a great connotation. And Mm-mm. I think that that's a really interesting next career for her when she had been so immersed in scandal. To begin with. Right. Why don't you go work for the NRA? Right. Annie Dukin served her two-year sentence. Well, a two-year sentence. I think she was sentenced to more, but whatever. She's never really given any interviews, which is whatever. Okay. Sonia Farrick served her 18 months. And the biggest thing that I wrote down here is that she got sober and she stayed sober at least of the time of this documentary, which I thought is wonderful. She's a Patriots fan. I'll try to forgive her for that. But nonetheless, I'm glad that she's maybe found some peace in this. So I hope so. I hope so. I addiction is one of those one of those diseases that you can't see. So it's like depression. And people, if they can't see it or don't live with it, don't understand it. And they're like, well, you just shouldn't do drugs. Like it's that easy. And her being sober now doesn't mean that she doesn't have to think about being sober and not doing drugs physically every single day of her life. It's a struggle and I'm, I'm proud of her and I hope it stays that way. Right. And I think that it's also okay to say if we de-stigmatize some of this stuff, maybe we would not end up in such a terrible place with this. Addiction happens to good people, people who are trying to do well. It's just life is hard. And sometimes that is your only source of pleasure. That's the way I kind of think of it. Like your oblivion. Mine is reading smutty romance books. (laughs) Yeah, mine too. Yeah, watching mindless, stupid TV, uh, you know, to escape. Reading a book to escape, that's my escape. Probably because my my body doesn't tolerate drugs well or I would do them. (laughs) I don't know. 
Luke Ryan has filed civil suit seeking damages for the wrongful conviction of Rolando Pinante. And let's let's hope that he continues to fight for his people. This documentary was so good and so well done. I think it sheds a light on a portion of the judicial judicial system that most people don't even think about. They just assume it's being done and being done correctly. And then also that scientists are people. We're not robots. And if we're put in a situation that is negative, you're going to eventually acclimate to it. I'm guessing, right? You can only do so much when you start. If I were to go work in a lab like that, I would start off by saying, Oh, well, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem right. But at a certain point you get defeated and just fucking go with the flow because it's easier. I get it. Right. I think that it's not realistic to say, well, we're going to fight the system forever. I mean, like you have to have a, you have to be a person that has some resources to do that. Like you can't just swim uphill forever. You know, you and I are in a situation where we have some experience and we might be able to go to another job or whatever. I mean, there's, there's other things, but I guess it's also possible that she really felt a sense of purpose here. It doesn't seem like that in the portrayal, but Mm -hmm. it's possible. So I don't know. Right. Right. Because I think a lot of times our jobs feel like they're, you're working for the sake of working, right? You don't feel like you're actually making a difference. A job like this, you probably feel like you're making a direct impact. And you are, unfortunately, in a negative way at this point in time. They were doing things that were directly hurting people's lives. But I could see where you would think like Annie Dukin was, I'm part of the system. I'm I'm making the world safer and I'm doing this for the greater good, right? Yeah. I also wanted to say... We don't do a lot of documentaries where all of the bad people in this are women. <laughs> like everybody I know. that was shitty in this was a lady. And I'm like, girl, right? get it together. I know you're making us look bad. I know. I know. <laughs> um, that had occurred to me, not the last time I watched it, but definitely this time. I was like, oh, all these broads got it wrong. <laughs> but again, I think it's important to say, you know, we are not above reproach. We have to hold each other to good standards. So. Yeah, it's it's tough. It is difficult. And I um, I just want to kind of call that out that sometimes girls get it wrong. It's rare, but it <laughs> but it happens sometimes. Right, yeah. right. So right. I really hope you guys like the documentary. It's one of my favorites. And I'll probably watch it again in a couple years. It's one of those. And I'm really glad you guys came along with us for this last year. Like I said, we'll be off for a couple weeks for the holidays and we'll probably start working during those couple weeks. But if you have any suggestions for documentaries you want us to cover in the new year, you can find us on the Twitter and the Instagram at Go Yourself. Yeah, for now, <laughs> yes. where Twitter still exists. <laughs> at Go Yourself. We do have a website, GoDocYourself.com, that you can submit an email or a question or a suggestion. We will, I know we keep saying we'll work to get that up and better, but... I we will I promise someday we'll be back in the new year with new fun stuff that's right I'm planning on um kind of perusing some of the documentaries that I have that have been suggested to us like uh what's the one about the bodybuilder the lady bodybuilder killer sally yeah that's one I think I'm gonna kind of try to check out in the interim here while we're taking a little break so we're kind of keeping our eye out for what makes sense for us to try to do next We're hoping to maybe have a guest one of these days. We just haven't figured out quite how we're going to do that yet. Um, So we have some plans to spice it up for next year uh, when we come back. And um, we hope you'll join us then. Absolutely. I also want to thank Riley for taking on editing. It has helped 
tremendously. So it is appreciated. <laughs> mm-hmm. And hopefully he'll continue to edit for us next year. <laughs> also my hope. Yeah, it seems to work out for us uh, really well because he enjoys when we screw up poorly. And he loves <laughs> to point that out to me. So we have a good time with that. Good. So other than that, please take care of each other. Be be kind. I think mm-hmm. that's one of our things that we've noticed that when you try and have good intentions, it mostly works out for you. <laughs> right. And appreciate the holidays. Your holiday yeah. might not be someone else's holiday. Who cares? Just be nice. Yep. I don't care what you're celebrating. Just celebrate sure. it and, and be nice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And hopefully no one's getting snow. That's all I have to say. I know. It's not going to last forever, but nonetheless. <laughs> Okay, guys. Thanks again. We've had a good time and uh, we will check in with you in the new year. All right. Talk to you later. Later. Bye. Bye. Bye.